Amen. Well, I'm Jordan. If I haven't met you yet, I would love to do that. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege to uh, dive into this short verse that is packed with so much for us to swim in. And so we're going to do that in just a moment. I want to let the catechism from this week lead us into this verse, though. If you've been um, working through the New City Catechism with us as a church, um, you know that this week's question was, what else did God create? Which is built upon the previous week's question, which is how and why did God create, um, did God create us, right? And if you remember the answer, he created the male and female to glorify him, right? And then this week's was, what else did God create? So God created all things and all his creation was very good. Now they cite Genesis 131. You see here that Mark is, or that John is also going back to Genesis 1 to draw upon the origins of Jesus. It is important that we know where we have come from, who is responsible for our creation, who do we belong to. It, it informs our identity. So as John is introducing this Jesus for us, as he's going to write this incredible gospel account that we're going to sit in, and there's so many rich narratives and truths and, and just glorious, awesome stories in the Gospel of John. He is going to careful links to introduce us rightly and, and fully with a particular angle that is slightly different than the other Gospel writers, as we looked at last week, to make sure that we know that this Jesus that he's writing about, this Jesus that had turned the world upside down in his day and age. This Jesus who was a man that people had seen do miracles and heal <clears throat> and, and turn water into wine and tell um, lepers to, to get, you know, stop being leprous and to tell blind people to start seeing and, and dead people to stop being dead. Like this Jesus that then they later saw crucified on a Roman cross and then many of the people who would still be alive in this day had seen him after that death on the cross, after that burial in the grave, they'd seen him walking around as a resurrected man. This is the Jesus that John wants us to know. But before we know all of that about Jesus, John wants to make sure you know just who this Jesus is that has incarnated into our world. It's easy for us to brush over this truth, this reality that God put on flesh and, and, and came into the world. But, but John wants his explanation, his story of Jesus, not to begin in Nazareth or, or in Bethlehem when the angel comes and tells Mary that she'll be bearing God's son, but rather all the way back at the beginning, in the beginning. That's where John starts his gospel, to remind us, to make sure that we know that Jesus is the eternal one, that there was no beginning or end. There, there was no beginning. There will be no end for Jesus because he is the great I am. He says he was God, and he was, he was with God, and he was God. It's not that God, uh, you know, is, is just one person, and he came into flesh. No, God is, is three persons in one, but Jesus is not less than. He's not just a messenger of God. He's not just, uh, you know, somebody God created to go run his errands. No, he was with God, but he was also God. And John makes it clear here that he is the very agent with which, or by which, everything was created. So John wants us to think back to Genesis 1. He wants us to think back to the word of God being spoken and saying, God spoke, said, let there be light, and, and there was light. The word of God is how John introduces us to Jesus. This, we looked at it last week, this idea of the word is the, the logos. This is uh, packing uh, significant meaning for all of John's readers. For the Greek, it would have brought forth the idea of the logos is, is the very uh, 
reality and, and structure and reason that holds the universe together, whatever your ultimate reality is that you defer to as somebody, someone, something is controlling the universe and our lives, like whatever your religion is, like the Greeks were, were like, philosoph like philosophy was, was trying to figure that out and, that, and that how they would refer to the ultimate reality was the logos. And so John is, is, is drawing upon that and saying, yeah, you, you wonder what the logos is. It, you have this idea that it's this impersonal uh, force or this, this reason that it, 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 he's saying, no, no, it, it's, it's the very person with which force and reason comes forth and, and emanates. John is saying it's not impersonal. It's not this thing out there. It's the person and his name is Jesus. It's the same Jesus that has turned our world upside down. He's the one for re that's responsible for creating all of it. The word logos for the Jew would have meant the very word of God is a theme. If you study the Old Testament, you'll see the word of God is, is, is the means in which God creates and uh, you know, speaks the world into existence. It's also the, the means in which he works redemptively throughout history. It'll say the word of the Lord comes to right, this prophet or this person that God is going to use, the word of the Lord, the, the logos, this is, John is drawing on all of that. And if you notice, the word is, is capitalized. Did you catch that last week? It's, it's capitalized, meaning it's, it's a proper pronoun. It, this is a person that, that John is, is saying. This is the name of a person. He's saying this is not impersonal. This is not some force out there. This is Jesus. He is the creator. He is the one which, by which, and through which, and for which all things were made. This is what John wants us to know. This is who our Jesus is. This is the God who is put on flesh and come into our world. So John wants us to, to this would have had so much meaning for his readers, and I think for us, we can kind of read it quickly and go, yeah, yeah, I know. Like, Jesus is creator, and Jesus is the one who was, you know, born, you know, that we celebrate on Christmas. And, and, and we, we know that he was the creator. We know some of that. Like, Jesus, like, Christmas has been somewhat redeemed from consumerism, and we know that he was the creator of all things that took on flesh. We sing songs about that, and it's good and right. But, but have we let this really stir us into awe? See, John wants us to go into his gospel completely mind-blown. There's no suspense or mystery about who this man is. John doesn't want us to read these stories and wonder about this Jesus. He wants us to know on the front end just how magnificent this whole story is, that God has sent Jesus to come into the very world that he created. So he wants us to, to sit for a moment and to think about this truth that all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So this affirms what we saw last week, that Jesus is eternal. Jesus wasn't created. There was not a time in which Jesus didn't exist. Jesus was there when all things were created. There wasn't a single, there's not a single thing that has been made that wasn't made through Jesus. That John wants us to, to pause and to think about this, and again, we sort of take it for granted, don't we? But John wants us to, to, to go, no, no, by him, through him, for him, all things were created. He means for that to stir us, to blow our minds. We, we get too consumed with, with our smartphones to be in awe of God's creation, don't we? 
But John wants us to look up. He wants us to lift our heads or to even redeem that thing and, and, and turn on Google and, and, and just look up some of God's beautiful and glorious creation. And today's going to be a bit different because uh, I kind of did that for you. And so we're going to sit in and just let the creation of God speak. Because Romans 1 says that it does. It says that it packs so much truth. Just be holding, if you've heard nothing else about God or Jesus or the gospel, Romans 1 says that the very glory of creation, man is held accountable because you can't observe what's happening on this earth and not be stirred to go, man, there, there is a God who is responsible for that. The Psalms over and over again say, that the heavens declare his glory, that God's creation speaks of his beauty. All over you see this habit of praise that is prompted by the beauty of creation. And so I, we are not people that are good at setting in the beauty of creation and thinking on it and, and letting the glories of what science and NASA and all of these like studies, they should, they should be making God's people sing louder. They should be making God's people be stirred to worship, not yawning at, oh yeah, that's just another image that the Hubble telescope took. We should go, wow, my God made that. So let's just start simple. You should be in awe of all creation. You shouldn't get over it. How about trees? Anybody, everybody, anybody just thought about trees? You realize trees and other plants, they, they make our air by using what we don't, like, our carbon dioxide, they breathe in what we breathe out, and then they, they make stuff so that we can breathe more in? Like, some of y'all are way more scientific than me, but I'm just saying, like, that should not, you shouldn't just yawn at that. Like, God made our world to be self-sustaining through plants. Freaking trees. You don't think, you didn't, like, go to the market and buy you some air, did you? You're thinking of the Lorax now, aren't you? <laughs> but we take it for granted because they just automatically produce it for us, right? What else in this world? What, these things that some of you try not to hit with your car, others of you try to hit with an arrow or a bullet, they're all over us, right? They're beautiful though, right? Whether you're avoiding them, chasing them, right? Whatever, whatever you're doing, like, they're all over. And th these are just some examples. Whatever, whatever your favorite critter is, whatever you're stirred by, whatever you enjoy watching. Some of you enjoy watching birds or, or you know, squirrels. If you come out here early on a, uh, on a spring morning, there's, there's 20 to 30 rabbits out there, like just all over. Like whatever those creatures are that are in front of you, you shouldn't just pass by them. You, you should let them speak and, and, and tell you of the glory of God, tell you of their maker, of our maker. Jesus has made them. Let's, let's keep going. Like, what, what else? Look, look, like, we could talk about so many animals, right? I love talking about, everybody loves sharks and, and bears and all these things. I just, let's just go to the largest mammal, the largest critter, uh, critter like, cre like this, is, this is the thing. The Antarctic blue whale, the biggest animal on the planet, it weighs up to 400,000 pounds. And this, this website said that's approximately 33 elephants, because that's helpful. Like, I, an elephant blows my mind, and it is helpful, because, like, an elephant's huge. This thing weighs up to 33 of them. That's crazy. That's crazy. 
Like, don't let yourself just yawn at that. Good grief, that's crazy. Right? Like, it reaches up to 98 feet in length. That, that's unreal. You should watch those Planet Earth documentaries. There's all kinds of them now. Streaming services, whatever you got, they're on there. Cooler ones have that British guy narrating, but you should watch them and worship, right? And worship and talk to your kids. When they start talking about evolution and millions and billions of years, you can say, no, that's our God's handiwork. Like that stuff didn't just like accidentally happen. That's, that's Jesus has made all things and not one thing that was made was made without him. Jesus made the Antarctic blue whale. Jesus made the grizzly bear, the polar bear, the great white shark, the wild, the, the things that we can't wrap our minds around, the coral reefs of the world, the, the amazing majestic beauty. Like there's, there's depths of the oceans that we, we don't even know how to explore. We haven't even got, like, it's amazing. The vastness that exists in God's creation is supposed to blow our minds. It's supposed to, and it's supposed to inform us as we walk toward the throne of grace to worship this Jesus. We don't need to forget who this Jesus is and what all he's made. Let's just keep going. Let's look at just some of the beauty. Just... This is just stuff God did. Like, the Psalms say this is all singing about the glory of God. This is telling us something about our Creator. That's something in Australia. I don't even know. Like, we can't, like, those pictures, you know, they don't do it justice, right? You ever, you ever have a sunset, you're like, oh, it's so beautiful, you pull out your phone, and you're like, I'm going to share this, oh, it's terrible, right? It just doesn't, it doesn't translate. Those pictures cause some of us to gasp. Some of you have been to those places, some of you have laid eyes on that. Right? Now, now let's, let's, let's keep going. What about us? Like, God's created, like, you should be in awe of those things that we just looked at here on this earth. And, and that, man, I just like a few minutes there to scratch the surface for you. Go home and have fun with your family. Watch one of those documentaries. Get on uh, Google and just look at images of God's creation and let yourself worship. But, but what about us? What about the, the, the pinnacle of God's creation? The, the day six when God said, let us make man in our own image. Have you, have you let this fearfully and wonderfully made body of yours and the people sitting next to you or the kids that you've raised, have you let your physical body blow your mind? Because it should. It's incredible. Just the very nature of conception, right? Like, it's, it's incredible. One cell from a mom, one cell from a dad, like, fusing together the DNA. Like, it's, it's crazy the complexities that are happening in those moments. But let's, let's, just, let's just look at one thing. Let's just talk about the human eye for, for just a moment. During week four of pregnancy, 
Cells from, a develop, from the developing brain tissue begin to form two optic nerves, one on each side of the head. These thick bundle of millions of individual nerve fibers will pass information from the eyes to the brain and vice versa. Around that same time, other cells start developing into what will eventually become the lens of the eye, which will help our babies focus on objects both near and far. About a month later, around week eight of pregnancy, the eye structure is even more complex. The retina, the layer of cells at the back of the eye that perceive and process light, they've begun to form. By week 16, our baby's eyesight development has advanced to the point where he can start to pick up light. His eyes can, can make slight movements from side to side in response to it, even though his eyelids still aren't open. Think about that. Think about the fact that like, you're, you're, the eyes are being formed and there's a solid piece of skin over them. And, and somehow, like a little knife in there, Right? There's not a lot to see in the womb, but your babies start to be able to see the movements and lights from outside your body, right? You shine a flashlight on the mama's belly around week 22. You can just, you might, you might get some response and a kick and wiggle like they start to do this. Listen, this is the thing that caused Charles Darwin to go like, I don't know how to explain this. He's got all these theories about evolution, and, and he says this. Uh, he goes, the, the eye is one of the greatest challenges to his theory of evolution. He says, how could he explain it? He goes, to suppose that the eye, with all its incredible contrivances, could, could have been formed by natural selection seems, he goes, I freely confessed, it seems absurd in the highest degree. Now, evolution in general is absurd to me. There's so many incredible beauties about our body. Incredible gifts and complexities. We haven't even talked about the brain. They don't know what to do with the brain either. It's this mush thing. It does all. Like, it's incredible. Like, it's one thing. They study, like, even just studying, like, our skeletal muscular structure, like, there's, there's muscles here that connect to tendons here, that connect to bones here, and they, you know, like, something here told my knee to do, like, that stuff's should blow our mind as well, but then you get to something like the eye, and you're just like, I, I, don't, I, don't, have, I don't have words for it. it. It's so complex. The tiny retina of the eye has 130 million receptor cells, 124 million of which are rod-shaped and enable us to differentiate between light and darkness. Six million of these receptors are cone-shaped and can identify eight million variations of color. Author John Blanchard uh, says that, like, makes this point about the eye. He says that a partial eye is, is useless. 5% of an eye will not give you 5% vision. It will give you none. What is more, even if all the physical components of the eye were in place, they would achieve nothing unless they were precisely wired to an amazing complex of nerve cells in the brain. He says it's a small... It's, Small wonder that someone has suggested that examination of the eye is a cure for atheism. You see what he's getting at? You look into the complexity of what God has done in our body, and it begins to be really hard to deny that there was a creator. And John is saying that's our 
Jesus. He's the one who did all of this. We should study biology and anatomy and physiology and let our minds be blown. Yeah, they might be saying these things are happening from an evolutionary perspective, but you can, you can go, yeah, they, 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 they don't know, right? They're, they're suppressing the truth with a lie. They're trying to explain something that, that is only explained by a great God with a great design with his hand making our bodies. Like, and, and so you can study, like you can see what they've studied. You don't have to be scared of science. You can let science lead you to worship. We should be in awe as we look at our bodies, as we examine how they operate. We should be in awe. But lest we begin to think that we're a big deal, let's look beyond ourselves and even our earth. Because in Isaiah chapter 40, he tells us to look up. He tells us to look up. He says, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. What's he talking about? The stars, the constellations, all that's out there, right? Now, I, I don't know. I've never heard any of you tell me that you're uh, big into studying astrology, astronomy. Uh, I'm confused as to which the stars. One of those is like science stuff. The other is anyway. It's related, but I'm talking about just observing the beauty that's in that's in space and got like. I don't know of any of you that that, that do that. If, if so, man, I'd love to love to chat because I'm sure you've got cool stuff that I should see. But whether you uh, realize it or not, you're actually investing in such a project. Your tax dollars are going to small projects like NASA that you know are sending incredible telescopes into space to take incredible photos for us. And so, hey, we might as well like. Lean into that as well. Get on that website. See, like the new telescope that sent out images, like look at that. Be in awe of that, right? There was a time whenever I genuinely kind of mocked this effort and the billions of dollars that we were spending on space exploration. I'm like, listen, there's like real problems here on Earth. People are hungry. We could probably fix a lot of that with the rocket, just the money it spent to like send that last rocket into space. But I, I, I used to really just kind of mock that. But that was before... I listened to a guy named Louis Giglio. How many of you guys listened to his sermons a few years ago about uh, how great is our God and indescribable? And he does such a beautiful job of, of, of redeeming what they're seeing out there in space and, letting, and leading it to worship, or leading a, letting it lead us to worship. See, John said, everything that exists, Jesus made it. Like, everything. The psalmist says, look up. Who made all that? The Bible tells you to consider it. Think about it. Who made all that? So, I spent all week um, listening to old Louis Giglio sermons and videos and thinking, like, how can I, like, how can I? Like, it feels like plagiarism, but, I mean, he's, he's pulling. I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to try. Let's just watch a few minutes together. So, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just, I'm going to sit down for a second. And I'm going to enjoy this with you all as he just walks us through um, just a bit of the vastness of what God has created out there. We are here tonight to worship a huge, massive God of grace and glory. The story opens like this, in case you forgot, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he said, let there be light, and there was 
light. And that was a phenomenal moment when that happened because light came out of the mouth of God traveling 186,000 miles a second. There's an image of it for you, by the way. It's a little more fierce than we often think. It's 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit on the surface, but what I want you to see about it is how big it is. It's 93 million miles away, so when you're looking up in the sky, it's pretty good pace out there. By the way, light traveling 186,000 miles a second, it's only taken eight minutes to cover that 93 million mile journey to touch your skin here in Atlanta, Georgia. But what I want you to see is the size of it. It's like a million times the size of the earth, and that matters to us tonight when you hear what the psalmist said. Listen to his words. By the word of the Lord, this is Psalm 33, the heavens were made. In other words, God didn't lift a finger when he made the universe. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. But he goes on to say, their starry hosts by the breath of his mouth. So we're looking at something so intense that we don't want to get any closer than 93 million miles away, which is what we are right now. And then we read that God just breathes out stars. It's crazy to think about it. A million times the size of the earth. So here's a little perspective that sort of changed my life. If the earth were the size of a golf ball, okay, the sun would be 15 feet in diameter. Okay, that didn't seem to move anybody either, so let me try it a different way. Let me just try it just a different way. I thought I might need this, so I brought a golf ball, okay? So all through the evening, this is going to represent Earth, all right? So this is where we are. I need everybody in the building to look as closely as you can and find yourself, okay? And when you've found yourself, I want you to nod your head so that I know you've located you on the Earth, okay? You're nodding your head? Okay, you found yourself. If the Earth were a golf ball, the sun would be 15 feet in diameter. That's not 15 feet in diameter. Can we blow that up just a hair and maybe give them 15 feet in diameter? So here's a little perspective for you, okay? Is this working for anybody? Here we are on the Earth, and that's the sun. It's so big. It's so big, you could put... 960,000 Earths inside the sun. So if the Earth were a golf ball and the, and the sun were 15 feet in diameter, you could put 960,000 golf balls inside that 15-foot diameter sun. That's enough golf balls, by the way, because I know that seems like a big number, to fill a school bus with golf balls could fit inside the 15-foot diameter sun. It's a massive star, and it's one of hundreds of billions of stars in the Milky Way galaxy, our cul-de-sac in the neighborhood called the cosmos that God has made. I love science, and science has just brought us the largest star they found. It's called, are you ready for this, Canis Majoris. Now, I'm no linguist, but that's a cool name for the biggest star we've found so far. I think that means the big dog star, and that's exactly what it is. I bring it to you as a little bitty purple, you know, glow just to the right of center there. But Canis Majoris, oh wow, if the earth were a golf ball, <laughs> Canis Majoris would be the height of Mount Everest. <laughs> Almost six miles above sea level, the highest point on the planet, and I just dare you to get up there and unzip the parka and pull out your golf ball. <laughs> you could fit seven quadrillion Earths inside Canis Majoris. That's enough Earths if the Earth were a golf ball to cover the entire state of Texas in golf balls 22 inches 
deep. You see the one you're on? Maybe this will help a little bit more. This absolutely blew my mind. Just a little journey through our solar system. Everyone knows our planets and sort of how we fit in to the story here. You see really quickly that we're not even the biggest deal in our own solar system, but as Earth comes by, you have to know tonight that we are living on a privileged planet. Anyone would tell you we're living at one of the most special places, if not the most special place in all of creation. But Neptune comes by and Saturn and then Jupiter and you're like, okay, we're not all that big, even in our own little cul-de-sac. I just noticed the blue dot fading away is not the earth. That's Neptune. The earth has gotten too small to see anymore. Sirius comes by. Little plug for satellite radio. Not the biggest star, but the brightest star that we have found so far. Pollux, which we didn't mention. Arcturus. Such a beautifully named one, Regal. But then the one that messed me up. Our third star, Musifi. Musifi's cousin, Wusifi. Majoris. And do you know that you couldn't come up here right now with a Sharpie and make a mark on the screen that would approximate the size of our sun? You couldn't even do it. I mean, when you look at these and their relative size, we just have to put a little arrow over there that says, if you could put the sun on here, which you can't, it would go somewhere about here. And um, can you hang on that for me? And when you see this, I don't know what happens to you, but I'll tell you what happens to me. A shrinking feeling comes over me, and it's not a bad shrinking feeling. It's a good shrinking feeling. Because sin, it has a, a way of shrinking God down in our minds and puffing us up in our own estimation. But just a glance into the universe that God has made resizes everything in a heartbeat. And you realize tonight we are worshiping an unrivaled, uncontested God of all kind of might and power and glory and awe who is, there's none like him anywhere in all of creation tonight. I highly encourage you to go Google and watch that entire sermon. Um, And then what I really hope is that this changes how you see our world and that we become a people that don't just brush off what we're seeing, that we're not so consumed with doggone social media stuff. Like, what foolishness 
leads us to spend our lives with our eyes here. The Bible says, lift your head. Get a load of this. God's like, so listen, I'm convinced God is inspiring the program. And that, like, he's like, come on up here. See what else I've got. You guys got to see this stuff. The other galaxies that they, like, it's, we're not even, we're not even a big, like, we're not a big deal in our own galaxy. And then they start finding all these other, like, I don't even have, I don't have categories for it. God, God is encouraged. He's like, come on, check, like, come see what I've made. And remember, Jesus says, not a single bit of it was made without him. Not a single bit of it was made without Jesus. And this, this is our God. This is what leads us to, to have a posture of worship as we see things, as we are moved by things. Because you, some of you have, have been to the Grand Canyon. You've been to mountain ranges that, that just cause you, even, even some of the boulders, if you if you'll give them a chance, the boulders at Fern Cliff, just will make you feel small, won't they? And they should. And that's exactly his point, is that we should have this, this posture of, oh my goodness. Our God is incredibly powerful. And, incre like, and, and, and that's, that's the big idea. He, he said it, like, because we spend our lives consumed with ourselves, consumed with, with lesser things, when in reality we should be consumed with the greatest thing and worshiping him. And, and, and he's right. Could you relate when he says sin has a way of, of shrinking down God, doesn't it? And puffing up us. You know what he's getting out there? Because we tend to think we're the biggest deal. We tend to think the world revolves around us, don't we? We tend to think that, that, that things should be set up to serve us when, when in reality... What's driving the, the, the exploration of the, the galaxies in the universe is our scientists and those people, are, many of them are going, like, there has to be some meaning out there. There has to be an explanation out there. This is too vast. This is too incredible. This is too big for it to just be about us here on earth, right? You see, and you could see their point. You're like, if, if, if we're the only intelligent life living in the universe, then, then this, like, what's the point of all of this out there? Like, this seems far too outsized. Many of you have driven by somebody's house and you know that it's just them and their wife that live there and you've judged them because they have an entirely too big of a house, right? You're like, what are they doing with that? And you're just gossiping and you need to repent. But, but if you're looking at the galaxies, you're looking at this whole, like, you're looking at this universe and you're thinking that it's about us. Yeah, it's way too big. It's, it's nonsensical. But when you realize, oh, it's not about us. All this is for the glory of our Jesus. And you see the vastness of who our God is. Now you start to see, no, no, it, it's just, just about the right size, isn't it? Like God has made all of this to lead us to, to be in all. That's why Isaiah says, hey, look up. This is why uh, prophets 
will, will call us to reverence, like, to reference the creation and the stars and the heavens and the, to, to put us back in our place. This is why David says in the Psalms, like, my goodness, your heavens are declared your glory. What is man that you're mindful of? When I see all of that, David didn't know about Canis Majoris. And that's like a 13-year-old video. They found like two bigger stars since then. But nonetheless, David's just looking at the night sky because he didn't have an iPhone. And he's blown away. And he didn't have Netflix. And he didn't have, like, right? So what's he do at night? Just, just look and worship and write awesome songs and poetry? Why? Because his mind is blown at the incredible beauty of God. So, but he, ref, he calls us to look up there. Isaiah calls us to look up there. God calls Job to look up there. You remember when Job starts to wonder, why is this happening to me? Why am I suffering? Why is my world falling apart? God, what are you doing? How could you, right? He starts to ask God questions like that. You realize God never really answered his questions, did he? What did God do? He said, hey, Job, go ahead and take a look. Which of these stars did you make, Job? Yeah. And he just kind of leaves it there. Reminding us that we're not God. We're supposed to have that shrinking feeling. It's a good and right place to be. Where we're reminded, oh, this is who has written this. This is the same reason that in the New Testament, the writers of the epistles will often remind us that this Jesus, that as they're telling people, hey, you should reorder your life around Jesus. Jesus has changed everything. You don't get to do what you want to do anymore. Jesus changes how you spend your money. Jesus changes how you do your relationships. Jesus changes what you do with your, your body. Jesus changes all of it. And, and their people are resisting. Yeah, but what about this? And yeah, if he loved me and this. And, 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 and Paul tells them, and, and Colossians, he goes, listen, listen, listen. This Jesus that's telling, like, that we're reordering our lives around, he's not just somebody that God sent a message with. You don't get to defer up to higher management than Jesus. I'm fussing with Nissan right now about my van, and, and I've had to say, like, okay, who can make decisions? Because clearly you can't. Can you get me to that person? Right? Two or three times, like, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but I need somebody who can make decisions. You don't, you don't get to roll that past Jesus. Jesus is telling you how to live your life, to give it all to him, and you don't get to go, well, can I, can I see your supervisor? Jesus goes, it's like I am the supervisor. I made it all. I made you. I made Canis Majoris, the son, all of it. I, I made it. So, no, we don't get to defer past Jesus Paul says in Colossians, he's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones and dominions or rulers and authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He was before all things, and in him all things hold together. You see, any of the imperatives in Scripture, the commandments, what we're supposed to do, they're all rooted in and found their, their foundation, their motivation in the indicatives of Scripture. That is what is true, what is true about God, what is true about us. 
And when we forget what is true about God, and we believe something wrongly about what's true about us, we start to posture up against God, don't we? We start to think we can give God some advice. We start to think that we know a little bit better about how to operate our life than God does. And this is why John says, hey, 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 before you read about Jesus, you need to know this is who we're talking about. He made it all. There's no one bigger. There's no one greater. There's no one that was before him. No one made him. Everything that was created was made by him. This is why it matters that you know Jesus as your creator. Because if you allow yourself to believe anything else about how creation came into existence, then you're undermining the very foundation with which Christianity stands. You're undermining the very foundation of who Jesus is. And he goes on to say, not just did Jesus make all things, but he says all things were created through him and what? In Colossians 1, for him. You see, it's in this truth that we find out the most important things about ourselves. That we were made by God for his glory, for his purposes. Back to catechism question one. What's our only hope in life and death? That we're not our own, but we belong to God. You see how this matters? That's what allows us to navigate life. That's what allows us to survive the chaos of life, is knowing that we don't belong to ourselves. We're not here for ourselves. We belong to Jesus, and we exist for Jesus. And it is this Jesus who's made all things, who stepped in. It is this Jesus who is calling you to respond and to give him your life. This is not a puny God. You don't have to wonder, wonder if he can handle it. You don't have to wonder if he understands or if he has the power. As he reminds Job, Paul reminds the writers at Colossae, and John is reminding us here, no, no, he's the creator. He's got this. This should lead us to a, a habit of praise. As Romans 1 said, let creation speak. As the psalm says, lift your eyes. As Psalm 8 says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all, in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you've established strength. And because of your foes, to, to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, he says, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you've set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. That's where the gospel overwhelms us. When we see all that he's made, and then we go, my goodness, why would you care about us? The little people that are on the small little golf ball that we can't even find inside of some of his, the biggest stars that we've even seen, that we know are out there. Why would he care about us? Isaiah 40 says that he measures the universe in the, in the span of his hand. He's marked off the heavens. He, he's like, how big is all this? We're, we're using light years. I can't even wrap my mind around a light year. We're talking about billions and quadrillions of light years that, the universe, like, that we know about the universe. And God says, how big is it? It's about yay big. In the span of his hand, God measures this whole deal that we haven't even begun to explore yet. It, it's incredible. It's incredible. He goes on to say, uh, who's measured, 
who's measured the spirit of the Lord? Who, who measured God? Who shows him his counsel? Who did, who did he consult? Who made him understand? Who taught him about the path of justice? He says, behold, the nations are like a, like a drop from a bucket. This is all in Isaiah 40. They're counted like dust on the scales. All the nations before him, they're accounted by him less than nothing in emptiness. To whom then will you liken God or to what likeness will you compare him? Anything you do would be an idol, he says. Something that someone's made. You can't compare the maker of all things to something that someone else has made. It's foolishness. Do you not know? Do you not hear, Isaiah says? You've been told from the beginning. Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sets above the circle of the earth. It is Jesus that sets above the circle of the earth. And it's, it, it, it is, its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. That's us. The whale, 33 elephants, it's puny. It's, it's tiny to God. To whom then will you compare me? God says. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name. All of the stars, he knows them by name. And the greatness of his might because he's strong in power. Not one is missing. Who do you say, O Jacob? He says, okay, that's the truth about the universe. He says, now, who is it that's saying God doesn't see me? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded from my God. Have you ever thought that God doesn't see you, that God doesn't know you, that God doesn't care? Isaiah says, hey, 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 don't forget who you're talking about here. You, you think that anything has escaped him whenever he's controlling all of this. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. This is our great God. This is the creator whom we worship. This is the one who stepped in to save us. It is he who is calling you to give him your life. So how are you going to respond? Some of you, as for the first time, you've never trusted Jesus as your savior. You've never surrendered your life and said, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I know that I need a savior, and I believe that you are that, that, you are that savior. I want to give you my life. You've never done that. Today, I want you to just sit with the reality that that God, that creator, stepped in to time, stepped into this world, put on flesh, lived the life that you could not live, perfect, sinless, holy. And then he died the death you and me deserve to die. He was buried in a tomb that should have belonged to us, and then he was raised back in power and gives us a victory that we could have never earned on our own. Who did that? The creator of all things. So, you're going to turn away from him? You're going to keep doing your thing? You think you got this? Goodness. Give your life to Jesus. He's the only one that can handle it, no matter what your story is. Like Micah said, we got nothing we can do about it. But Jesus, he's done something about it. The rest of you, you're Christians, and, and you're here playing games with God. You think that you've done enough. You know you're going to heaven when you die, but you're not really giving him your finances. You're not really giving him your marriage. You're not really giving him your internet history. You're not really giving him your, your, you know, your private life, your sex life. You're not really giving him this. You're not giving him work. You're not like, good grief, stop pretending that you could stand before a holy God and give an explanation for anything other than full surrender. 
Stop it. Come and give it all to Jesus. And, and, and I know what fear rises up in that moment of confession, that moment of vulnerability, of giving it all to him. I, I know that you've pretended for so long that people believe this about you or this. Or, or, like, I know that, that the things that have happened to you that have shaped you into who you are, it's scary to think about, but Jesus also knows and he looks at you and he says, hey child, get your head out of your navel and look at me. I know every detail of your life I was there. And I love you. I've got a plan for you. And I came and purchased salvation for you. Let me have all of you. All of it. Church, let's not be a people that hold back from our Jesus. Let's treat him like he is. He's the creator of all things. And John is pointing us back to the beginning, to creation, because Jesus has come to bring about new creation. That's where you and I, we get to be made into new Creatures, new creation. Let's turn to him. Let's surrender. Let's worship and let's give him our lives this morning. Jesus, we cannot wrap our minds around who you are and the fullness of your glory. But I thank you for your word. I thank you for creation. I thank you for the majesty that surrounds us. And I pray that we would be stirred to let go of our lives. Stop pretending that we don't need you and instead cry out in a full confidence full of hope, scared as we may be, but knowing that the name that we're calling on is the name above all names, the name which everything created and everything that is came from you, Jesus. Here we are, your people, worshiping you. Come, overwhelm us. Make yourself big in our hearts. Set captives free. Bring hope to the depressed Bring redemption and restoration to the lives that are crumbling. It's in your name we look, Jesus. Amen.